Loudspeaker Studios. Welcome to the Hangover Liberation Society, the podcast celebrating the unexpected benefits of living a zero-proof lifestyle. I'm Erin Ranta. And I'm Adrian Vandervalk, and we are the co-founders of Rever Recovery Support and the originators of the Hangover Liberation Method. In today's episode, we are going to tackle a topic that was really new to both me and Erin before we started our recovery journeys and something that we've learned a lot about over the last few years and think is really important, and that is divesting from big alcohol. Erin, were you aware that big alcohol was even a thing before you started digging into the recovery scene? I was not. I knew that there was some advertising and sporting events were perhaps sponsored by alcohol, but not so overtaken and shady, if you will. I was definitely aware of some of the ways that gender showed up in alcohol marketing, but that was kind of the extent of my cultural critical lens when it came to the way that alcohol was advertised or the role that that advertising played in my own perceptions of alcohol. And one of the first things that really tipped me off about this is something that I've talked about in other you know, blog posts and, and other places, which is the book Alcohol Lied to Me by Craig Beck. And when I read that book, it really opened my eyes because, you know, Craig Beck, if you're not familiar with him, I think he's dead now, actually, but I'll have to fact check that. <laughs> Sorry if you're not dead, Craig. Uh, well, actually, I'm glad if you're not dead. But anyway, I digress. The point being that he talks about in the book his journey with alcohol and, and being really obsessed with like being a guy who drank really great wine and that wine and wine culture and the way that wine was marketed to him as a middle-aged, upper-middle-class man was really, really important to him and was a major factor in how he was able to convince himself for years that his drinking was actually like sophisticated and normal and not, in fact, the major problem that it really was. It was taking such a toll on his health, on his relationships, on his depression, et cetera. And, you know, like many of us, once he made that connection, he felt deeply, deeply betrayed. And that's where the name of the book came from, Alcohol Lied to Me. And I think the logical extension of that is the alcohol industry lied to him and lies to all of us and has since big alcohol became a thing, which, you know, was really not that long ago. So I think that it's really worth spending some time on. Um, like I said, reading that book was very pivotal in my own recovery journey because it was the first time I was able to kind of step out of my own feelings of inadequacy and like not being strong enough to quit drinking and was like, wait a minute, there's this whole industry and this whole like cultural thing happening around me telling me that this is what I should do and should be able to do and that if I can't do it, right, or it's having these negative consequences, that that's somehow mm -hmm. my fault. What if it's not? And that moment 
was a big turning point for me. I'm not going to say like I read that book and never drank again, but I do credit that book with being one of a few factors that really made it so that that period of time when I did try to quit drinking again was successful. Looks like Craig Beck is 48 years old and lives in the United Kingdom. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, <laughs> I take it back. Craig Beck is alive and I'm so happy and, Yay. you know, Yay. Uh, let's, let's celebrate that fact. Um, okay, cool. Well, Aaron, anything to add before we dive in? Just a quick story. I think when I first started even thinking about this was at a, in college, there was a frat party. I was in the Greek system for just a minute. I left pretty abruptly, but there was so much drinking. And I remember at these, the men's houses, the fraternities would have these, brunches and the dads would bring in these kegs of beer just you know in excess and it was completely acceptable mind you we were 18 19 we were not 21 even if we were still and then i was never a someone who smoked marijuana but i know that that was very unaccepted in the greek system so just the whole kind of masculine bringing in the kegs before the football game moment was widely accepted. And that was a moment when really stood out to me like, this is some nasty going on here. Another part besides the, just like the marketing and making it seem as though we all have a problem if we can't drink, quote unquote, responsibly, whatever that is. And if we aren't able to always have a great time when drinking and never feel any bad effects, is that big alcohol really honestly does lie to us in not telling us that alcohol is an addictive substance. I don't think a lot of people realize that it is quite addictive and poisonous and they don't put a label on the bottle. You know, they don't disclose this information to us. It's also the case that when you do see a label like that, it's always, or a warning, it's always aimed at pregnant women. Yes. That's the only thing that at least I can remember from many, many years. It's always just about pregnant women and driving. Right. Yeah. And uh, you make such a good point. Like it's true that alcohol affects different people differently, that based on your trauma history, your genetics, the environment that you grow up in, et cetera, you may have a different reaction to alcohol. You may have a different predisposition to alcohol, but the idea that only certain people, only quote unquote alcoholics will not be able to drink responsibly or successfully is a complete fabrication. Anyone who drinks enough alcohol will get addicted to alcohol. Like, and I think that that is just something that we just don't want to admit it's collectively as a culture. It's very true. I mean, someone you think, oh, cocaine or heroin or oxy, you're going to get addicted right away. Well, you will get addicted probably sooner, but alcohol, you 100%, you will get addicted at some point. It's just a matter of when for each person. And, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. This is the Hangover Liberation Society, and we do like to stay somewhat focused on the benefits, the upsides. Yeah. And I think it is a huge upside recognizing this, even though it's really frustrating and it exposes to us so many things about our culture and the way that we market things to people that's really nauseating and upsetting. 
recognizing that you can divest from that system and that you're in fact doing a really radical and good thing, not only for yourself, but culturally too, I think is a huge benefit and something that we should be really proud of as sober people. It is a badass move to stand against this, stand against them. One of the people we admire and who has talked a lot about this issue is Holly Whitaker. I'm sure you've probably heard of Holly and her fantastic book, Quit Like a Woman. And one of the chapters in that book dives into the the connection that she draws between the tobacco industry and big alcohol. And I thought this was so interesting. I didn't know that the tobacco market essentially was an artificial market. It had been created. I mean, tobacco had been around for a long time, but cigarettes specifically, the market for that was very intentionally created by the tobacco industry and very intentionally marketed toward women because Mm -hmm. previous to that, women smoking was like frowned upon. It was not, not really a thing. And so suddenly due to the power of advertising and I'm, you know, doing a disservice, you should read the book and read the chapter because there's a lot more to it than what I'm describing here. But essentially due to these marketing efforts, suddenly cigarettes were seen as a symbol of like liberation and freedom and equality Mm -hmm. with men. Right. And Mm -hmm. so big alcohol didn't really have the same challenges as tobacco because, you know, cigarettes didn't exist before the 19th century, but alcohol has been around for thousands of years, right? This Mm -hmm. has been part culturally around forever. However, the way that we use alcohol now is not the way that alcohol has been used culturally for thousands of years forever. I mean, this is a distinct way that we're using alcohol in excess to the degree that people are dying of alcohol-related diseases at incredibly high rates. And those rates go up when you see alcohol manufacturing concentrating in a certain market. Like they focus on a market, alcohol-related disease and death goes up in that market. There's a direct Mm -hmm. correlation there. Uh, And again, that's not something that we really talk about. So Anyway, big alcohol had the benefit of essentially piggybacking off Mm -hmm. the blueprint created by big tobacco, right? Because once you already have something considered kind of a vice that's already been associated with individuality and rebellion and freedom, et cetera, all you really have to do is just pair another vice with it. So originally it was just cigarettes. Now it's cigarettes and beer or cigarettes and whiskey or cigarettes and, you know, whatever. And they go together, right? Like Mm -hmm. people drink and like to drink and smoke at the same time. And alcohol after prohibition, which I think we should do a whole other episode Mm -hmm. on prohibition because there's so much interesting history there. But so then you really start to see the shape of the alcohol industry begin to resemble more the shape of the tobacco industry. And it was not at that time big alcohol, right? These were Mm -hmm. small companies, small distilleries, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward to the 70s, 80s, 90s, and then you really start to see these monopolies forming, these conglomerations forming. And Mm -hmm. I thought this was so shocking. Apparently, most of the alcohol sold in the world, like some staggeringly large number, like upwards of 90%, is made by the same 16 companies. Yes, I saw that. I think I saw that. And Anheuser-Busch is... I think 15% of the whole world, which is a big number considering the whole world, but those companies have offshoots that you wouldn't know that 
you know, down the line, it actually circles back to one of those 16 companies. And the way that alcohol is marketed is like, it pick your brand based on your personality, right? So, mm-hmm. and then there's like this brand loyalty, like, are you a Hennessy drinker? Yes. Are you, you know, a skinny yes. girl wine drinker, you know, whatever it is. And so you think you're being individual by like yep. buying this one brand, but really you're buying Anheuser-Busch. I mean, I don't yeah. know if Hennessy is Anheuser-Busch, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, a Jack on the rocks is so like, oh, I'm being so cool and I'm showing off my masculine side and going to go sit by myself and drink that versus a cosmopolitan. I'm showing off my whatever sex in the city kind of my Carrie side. Bradshaw. Yeah, yeah. exactly. As a nonprofit, everything we do at Loudspeaker could not be possible without the generous support of our listeners. Become part of the Loudspeaker family and pledge your support now at loudspeaker.org. That's sort of thing number one that I wanted to point out was just that cigarette alcohol connection and the way that the blueprint of the marketing of those two products Mm -hmm. has mirrored one another. And of course, we've seen such a steep decline in the way that cigarettes have been marketed because finally, the, you know, the research that has been around forever, but was really suppressed by the tobacco industry broke through and people really started to realize like, oh, wow, like this is killing me. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing the same public acceptance of the really plentiful research linking alcohol to all kinds of terrible health problems, including cancer. Survey your friends. Most people have no idea that alcohol is carcinogenic, but when you think about it, it it literally is poison, right? You're drinking ethanol. It's not something that your body is designed to metabolize it in, you know, especially at the volume that we tend to drink it in this country. So Holly goes into more in her book about why research doesn't break through and her predictions about, you know, what may eventually happen. So that's a, that's a good read. We're not going to belabor that point now, but I think it's really important to think about like in the long run, we may be facing a future, not facing, I would say embracing a future Mm -hmm. where, as she says, alcohol has a cigarette moment and we start to really distance ourselves from it. And we're starting to see that happen on a small scale now, I Mm -hmm. think with more sober curiosity, but it's just a tiny, you know, excuse the pun, like drop in the bucket of how much alcohol is really still being consumed. Another thing that we wanted to mention, and Aaron, you brought this up earlier, was the idea of drinking responsibly. And I don't know, do you want to say any more about how that phrase sits with you as someone who was addicted to alcohol? Yeah, I mean, instead of saying drinking responsibly, if they were to say something about the maybe the poisonous nature or the carcinogenic nature as some of the research we were, you were just talking about, just um, inform people and then one can choose whether to drink that or not. I think the other thing that pisses me off about drink responsibly is that it puts the entire responsibility for oh, yeah. the negative outcomes of drinking on the person consuming yes, the product and none on the people who manufacture the product, the people Mm -hmm. who market the product, the people who sell the product, right? I think it's really easy for us, especially in the United States, to think about the negative consequences of drinking as like individual 
weaknesses mm-hmm. and failures. But when you look at the big picture, you can watch it happen when big alcohol targets a market. Mm-hmm. Like for example, in lower GDP countries or you know, quote unquote developing countries where alcohol sales have not, you know, alcohol's there, but the sale from the big 16, you know, hasn't necessarily been as prevalent mm-hmm. na- in the past. And now it is. And then you just see the numbers of health issues go up and up and up. So are we to believe that somehow magically all of these people with quote unquote alcoholism Mm-hmm. All these people who were somehow predisposed to mm-hmm. irresponsible drinking just happen to be concentrated in that country. Mm-hmm. No, like there is a clear cause and effect relationship there. Yeah. So I think when you look at that data, it's really helpful in, in unpacking why the concept of drinking responsibly is actually a very irresponsible way of talking about alcohol consumption because it basically like allows, you know, Anheuser-Busch or whoever to like wash their hands of the consequences. Alcohol has put a lot of energy towards women and moms, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but during the pandemic, the rate of, I don't know how it was calculated, but the rate of heavy drinking in women rose 41%. And 41% is a huge number, and it's directly correlated with the marketing towards the quote-unquote mommy wine culture and just kind of the acceptedness of drinking like, ha ha ha, I'm drinking behind my Zoom screen and ha ha ha, my drinking is getting earlier in the day. And that kind of like joking, lighthearted marketing about drinking. Yes. And what was the example that you just shared with me? We're we're recording this the week of daylight savings time. And yes. So this morning, my husband sent this to me. There, it, there was a meme from a company called One Brick Wines, and it says, to the parents of young kids during daylight savings, One Brick is here for you. And there's a link to, it said, wind me up in the link, and it shows this mom slouched on a couch looking tired, hugging her little babies. And I guess the, you know, the they're insinuating to buy some wine and drink it and you'll feel better with your little babies in tow. And, you know, we've said this on the show many times, but we are so supportive of all mothers. And we know that some mothers do get trapped in the cycle of drinking and that we're Mm -hmm. not trying to in any way shame or blame anybody. We place the blame for this kind of thing firmly at the feet of a, a society that claims to care about families and then doesn't support parents at all and makes life really, really hard. And B, the alcohol industry that like consistently normalizes and makes fun of people like being so miserable in their lives that they are turning to alcohol as a coping mechanism. And really insinuating to the child that the child is why the mother needs to drink, which is not a healthy thing to portray. And like Adrian said, God, no shame whatsoever. If you are somebody who drinks and are in the cycle, I mean, we are just here to help you and kind of take the blame off of you. We're here to help you. Aaron's also really involved in Sober Mom Squad. That's a great resource for moms who are starting to question their drinking. So, and again, this is like a huge benefit of quitting drinking is that you are no longer giving your money to this shitty, shitty industry that basically is so willing to go to these terrible lengths for profit. I have a lot of friends who work in the alcohol industry and who are bartenders and wine distributors and, Mm -hmm. you know, work for 
breweries and distilleries, et cetera, et cetera. And I always feel really conflicted about this because on the one hand, I want to support my friends and I don't think that they're bad people. But when I look at the way that the alcohol industry functions as a whole industry, personally, I'm happy that not a cent of my money is going toward that anymore. I, you know, and I think about how many thousands and thousands of dollars I have have sent toward those big 16. And mm -hmm. I feel really good about the fact that that is no longer part of the energy of my money life. Yes. And looks like alcohol is looking to spend $7.7 billion in 2023 for advertising. It was 6.7 in 2020. And then they're upping that because I think their sales went down a little bit in 2020, but mostly just due to the close down of restaurants. So I, I think they're marketing more towards people drinking at home. Well, and I, as you said, they're marketing more towards women and moms. They're also there. I think because I don't know if this is a direct cause and effect, but there's, you know, obviously way more people who are sober curious these days. There has been an increased interest in quote unquote clean alcohol, like organic mm -hmm. wine, sugar-free drinks, et cetera, et cetera. And let it be known, there is no such thing as clean alcohol. There might be alcohol that has less sugar in it or alcohol that has less food coloring in it, not dyed pink for your aesthetic pleasure. But if it's alcohol, it's still a toxin and it's still not something that your body is capable of processing in a way that is not going to hurt you. Organic wine still has ethanol in it. As you know, if you're a regular listener, each episode we bring you a big sober energy tip to help enhance your life and your recovery journey. Today's big sober energy tip is inspired by our good friend, Craig Beck, who is very much alive. Hi, Craig. This is a technique that Aaron and I teach our students, and it's called Flip the Script. And Flip the Script was inspired by Craig because he talks about how to hack your brain a little bit when you're looking at a bottle of alcohol. And alcohol bottles are so beautiful, right? They have these gorgeously designed labels. The labels are really intended to appeal to so many different aesthetics. So there's kind of something for everybody. You can match your drinking personality to your lifestyle, et cetera. So Craig Beck recommends that when you look at a bottle of alcohol, you should say to yourself, attractively packaged poison. And this I found to be so, so useful. And Flip the Script has sort of two aspects. One is a visualization and one is a mantra. Attractively packaged poison is a great mantra because it's very short. It's very easy to remember. You can recall it really quickly when you're having a craving. And then if you pair that with a visualization, and the one I like to use in this case is a skull and crossbones. So this would happen to me most frequently with wine, with red wine bottles. I would look at the bottle. I would have a craving. I would want to open it, be really attracted to it. And I would imagine a skull and crossbones over the label. And I would say to myself, attractively packaged poison. And this was also really effective when I would go into bars, old bars that had like beautiful lit up mirrored shelving displays and you just see all these glittering gorgeous bottles and I would just look at them and say attractively packaged poison like that is a wall of poison and over time it it truly did start to shape the way that I felt about what was inside of those bottles 
I've heard other people say that they're sort of waking up to alcohol culture is, is like waking up in the matrix. This is definitely part of that. You just sort of start to see it all around you, this collective obsession with essentially drinking poison. And again, I think this is such a benefit that we don't expect. That realization can start to make us feel more and more empowered because we recognize that we used to be very trapped in something and without even necessarily recognizing it. So that's the big sober energy tip for this week is to help yourself wake up in the matrix, see alcohol for what it is, help hack your brain and create new neural pathways by reminding yourself it's poison, it's marketed to me, that marketing is insidious, and this is in fact not anything that I want anywhere near my body. And, you know, it's not magic, but it is something that can definitely really help. It's very quick and you don't need a whole setup to do it. You just need that brief second to say it and visualize it. And the visualization, I think, is especially fun. You can really make that your own if skull and crossbones doesn't work for you. Maybe there's something else. Maybe like, I don't know, a dead rat or something. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, a lot of options for you. Use your creativity. I like that Mr. Yuck sticker from, I don't know, I was a kid who grew up in the early 80s. Do you know Mr. Yuck? Yeah. And in, in my world, he was called Officer Ugg. We had oh, Officer nice. Ugg. Yeah. But it, yeah. I, I think Mr. Yuck and Officer Ugg were like brothers or something. Yeah. <laughs> Meditation and movement are essential components of the hangover liberation method. And so in each episode, we carve out a little bit of time to either move or breathe or meditate with you. And today, Aaron is going to lead us in a brief movement session. So if you're driving or in the middle of something, you might want to pause this and come back to it when you are able to do that safely. Okay. Thank you, Adrian. So today let's just do some spinal movement in the form of an exercise called cat stretch. We're going to be on the hands and the knees. Now, if that's something that's not available to you, you're welcome to stay seated or be seated. And we'll just kind of move the spine in the same way. But I'm going to first instruct it as if we're on the hands and the knees. So your wrists are going to be placed right under your shoulders and your knees right under your hip bones. Then we're going to just find a moment of stillness to start. Feel your shoulder blades slightly drawn away from the ears, feel the tailbone slightly reaching up towards the sky. All those same components can be the same if you are seated, sits bones reaching back a little bit. And then we're going to take a nice big breath in through the nose as if you're filling your whole belly and rib cage with air. And then as we exhale out of the mouth, you're going to start to curl that low spine. So kind of curl that tail under. Then lifting the belly button towards the middle of the spine and then just finishing with the head. So it's basically you're creating a shape of a like a cat when the cat does a big stretch and your head's towards the floor, tails towards the floor, belly's up towards the sky. Inhale, hold there. And then we're going to exhale reverse where we we're going to start by reaching the tail up to the sky, moving through the middle of the back. Feel those shoulders slightly drop away from the ears and then finishing with the crown of the head, reaching 
somewhat up towards the sky, not so much to where you crank the neck back. And then we're just going to repeat this a couple more times. So I'm going to, again, exhale. Try to keep the movement on the exhale. No big deal if not. I find the exhale as you move to be helpful and supportive to help engage kind of that deep core area as you're rounding the spine up here, scooping the belly up towards the spine as you then finishing, let the head drop down. And then on the next exhale, we'll reverse that, reaching the seat up to the sky, elongating through the middle all the way through the crown of the head. Okay, great. We'll do one more time. Just going to round up like a cat, rounding through the bones of the spine. If there's a tight spot you feel, give it a little extra time, extra stretch. And on this time, however, we're going to end in neutral. So we're going to come back to basically where you started. So you're going to be in the neutral position, just where you began on the hands and the knees. Okay. And then also let's do this. We're just going to basically move our bodies side to side. So if you're on the hands and knees, think that your head is going to go towards your hips and then to the other side. So your spine is actually parallel to the floor, staying parallel to the floor as you just lengthen one side of the body and lengthen the other side of the body whether it helps for you to think of the rib cage traveling towards the hips and other way and same thing sitting. You're just bringing one side of the ribs closer as the other side gets some space and vice versa. Good. And then let's just come to a moment of stillness. Remain here and close your eyes and we'll just take three big breaths just holding where you are. Feel the shoulder blades relaxed away from the ears. Take a big inhale through the nose and exhaling out of the mouth. We'll do that again. Take a big breath in. On your exhale, if you can just try to relax any unneeded tension. I know we're in a little bit of a held position, but you don't need to grab the neck. We don't need to grip the front of the hips. One more big breath in. And exhaling on this exhale, just finish by setting the hips back to the heels into a child's pose type of stretch. Let the upper body round forward onto the floor. And if you are sitting, you're more than welcome just to round the body forward and kind of drape it over your legs, give the back a stretch that way. And we will finish there. Oh, thank you so much, Erin. That was fantastic. Just what I needed after getting all worked up about big alcohol. Exactly. Thank you all so much for spending your time with us today. And if getting sober is something that you've struggled with or you're just beginning your journey and you need some support, feel free to reach out to us. You can learn more about our work at reverierecovery.com. That's R-E-V-A recovery.com. Or follow us on Instagram at Reva Recovery. We also have a free Facebook group full of wonderful people called Reva Holistic Recovery Support. And if you'd like to learn more about working with us directly, you can book a free visioning session by reaching out to us through any of these platforms. And if you like the podcast, we'd appreciate it so much if you could give a five-star rating and a review so other folks can find us. 
Thanks again for listening. And as always, cheers to you and your liberation. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Hangover Liberation Society is a production of Feminist Hot Dog and Loudspeaker. This has been a listener-supported production of Loudspeaker Studios. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.org.